Welcome to A Brief Chat. I'm Jason Crane. This is a monthly show where I talk to anybody I find interesting about whatever it is they're into. You can find previous episodes of the show at abriefchat.com. And if you want to get even more, including a weekly letter from me and a bonus episode each month, you can become a member starting at a dollar a month at patreon.com slash abriefchat. Thanks so much to the folks who are already doing that. Without you all, this show would not exist. Several years ago, I got into birding. I had always been interested in birds, but I had never really done anything to learn any more about it. And then I decided, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to try to figure out something about birds. Uh, I had always wondered if I would be hampered by the fact that I'm colorblind, and so that makes visual identification more of a challenge. But I decided to get into it anyway and uh, you know, bought some binoculars, bought some books, uh, put up a, a bird feeder for the easy ones. And then over time, started to try to follow people on social media who were also birders or who provided some you know, additional kinds of knowledge, things like that. And one of the people whose work I just instantly fell in love with is my guest today, Faraz Abdul, a writer, a photographer, a birding guide, the author of a book called Casual Birding in Trinidad and Tobago. And Faraz, it is such a joy to have you here. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for, for having me, Jason. It's, uh, it's very much appreciated. So I would like to start at the absolute ground zero, because other than uh, some music, my own knowledge of Trinidad and Tobago is fairly minimal. I, I did some reading before this, but I'm going to guess that for a lot of people who will listen to this episode who aren't listening because they already know you, that people who are just coming along because it's another episode of this show, they might also not know too much about Trinidad and Tobago. So can you paint us a little word picture of the part of TNT where you live and what it's like there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Trinidad and Tobago are two islands that we technically form part of the Caribbean, but we are really and truly South American continental um, islands, especially Trinidad. Um, so there are two islands, Trinidad, which is a larger island, and Tobago, which is a tiny um, cigar-shaped island just to the northeast um, tip of Trinidad. And uh, Trinidad is 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 very interesting because it is well it was formerly part of the South American mainland and it's still on actually the South American continental plate. And uh, Tobago, what I recently learned was that its geological history was was forming part of Panama, and it drifted eastward many thousands of years ago. And it's geologically more related to islands like Aruba and Bonaire and Curaçao and so on. So there are two very distinct islands with each of their own charms. And right, I was I was born and I grew up for most of my life in Trinidad, in southern Trinidad. And presently I live on Tobago, exactly in the middle of it, to be honest. Just at the at the edge of a of a forest reserve. So, if you look out your your door or your window, uh, are are you that close that you're you're kind of seeing nature, or are you still you know in a in a, an urban or suburban setting? Well, I am I am presently staying at uh, a lodge, an eco lodge. So I'm I'm quite privileged in that sense that I've been here for since February. And when I open my door, 
I see nothing but trees and the ridge. Over the ridge, there's like another valley and then another ridge because Tobago is uh, quite mountainous. But yes, it's, it's, and I don't know if you could hear it. Uh, I can. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of hummingbirds. We have a couple of hummingbird feeders out. And uh, sometimes you might hear parrots, sometimes shashalakas, sometimes woodpeckers. So it is, it is very interesting to, to stay, to stay in a place like this. So there are no other houses around. Um, we're staying at the back of a hotel, as I said, an eco lodge called Coffee River Nature Retreat. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's ten minutes off of the main road, basically down into a valley. I, as I mentioned, I learned about you uh, because you're a birder, and more specifically because you're a birder who takes photographs. And uh, I am greatly underselling. <laughs> the quality of those photographs by just saying you're a birder who takes photographs your photos are really amazing but they're they're more than just beautiful because there are a lot of people who take beautiful bird photos but the thing about your photos that really jumped out to me is that they they seem very engaged and very compassionate if that makes any sense when describing photos and i'm i guess to kind of dig into where that comes from can you talk about how you first connected with birds as i understand it your love of nature goes all the way back to your youngest days right absolutely yeah when i was when i was a a very small child somehow somehow i had the ability to to look at you know vultures sometimes they soar really high in the sky riding thermals and so on and we have two species of vulture in trinidad one is the black vulture and one is the turkey vulture and as a child, Jason, I was able somehow to pick out which ones were the black vultures and which ones were the turkey vultures. I don't know who taught me that, but somehow <laughs> <laughs> I knew that. And I always used to do it every, you know, every time. And I probably weird my parents out um, by it. Um, they still talk about it. And, uh, you know, I would see, I would always see birds, you know, I would see a... Uh, I would be out at uh, in the late evening and it might get dark and my parents might be calling me back to come inside and uh, I would stay outside because I might see a pygmy owl on the fence post. And I, I marveled at how it would not be there and then suddenly it would appear. You'd never see it fly in. It'll just appear and like it knows when you're not looking and it'll just show up. And you look back there and it's just standing there looking at you or sitting. I, I never could have honestly uh, told the difference sometimes between uh, our birds sitting or our birds standing. That's a, a difficult question. <laughs> yes, that's the one of the Zen koans of birding. Yeah. <laughs> are they yeah, sitting or are they standing? It's too it's too early in the in the chat to to go down that route. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. I don't even have an incense burning yet. So, yeah. Um, right, exactly. So was when you were a kid was an appreciation of nature. Was it a social thing? Did it have a social component? Were there people in your life, either other kids or your parents or other adults you knew, who were part of that appreciation with you, or was it more of a solitary pursuit for you? Definitely a solitary pursuit. I was also, I, I was and still am an only child. I have no brothers or sisters. And uh, nor that I have any um, kids my age that, that I grew up around. So 
it observing nature was was one a solitary thing because i was a solitary person but also you know even later in life into adolescence and as a young adult i had no idea none of my parents or relatives or anyone who i knew was into just looking at nature and observing it and just enjoying being in nature i mean we would do things as as kids do you go in the bush to smoke pot right and it's like <laughs> well <laughs> um but then you know you see these magical things and it's so in- incredible and it's just it's not because you're stoned it's it's because these things are actually beautiful um but i was i had already finished university and was and I'd, i think i was on to my second job and i was speaking with someone there who who mentioned that um she was married to someone in a club called the field naturalist club and she asked me to you know she said you should check them out so i called the number and i and they had bird walks so i was like this is ridiculous you know there are actually other people that enjoy birds and so on so i went and realized that there was a a small community within the country a, a local community that was into birding and looking at birds and so on and um that's how i kind of started uh you know in a more structured sense it's so interesting that y- and because i've had this experience as well that it's possible to pursue something for so much of your life and yet not realize that there are many other people doing the exact same thing who feel the same way you do i've i've had that experience like that you described a couple times where all of a sudden i was part of a community that i hadn't really realized existed even though it's in some ways it's the most logical thing in the world to think well i can't possibly be the only person who enjoys doing this I but know. it's very easy to get just into that little silo where you just you think oh this is my thing and I don't share it with anyone. And then suddenly you find, oh, there's an entire community. I know for me, it's felt very liberating. I don't know if it felt that way for you. Um, in a, in, in a sense, you know, I mean, I was, I was already sharing my pictures. Um, yeah, I had a, I had one of those, um, compact cameras. So I was sharing my pictures on Flickr, but you know, I knew that there were other people that existed in this world that enjoyed birds but i had no idea that any of them were living in the same uh, country that i was and it was i was already part of a community of of misfits so to say um you know you mentioned that you know a little bit of music in trinidad and tobago and i'm sure you're thinking about soca and calypso and that sort of thing sure um which which is which is a mainstream stuff here but i was involved in the more or less an underground rock and heavy metal scene um in on trinidad and that was that was that really formed my community you know um traversing those treacherous years between teenager and early 20s and so on um so i i did already feel a sense of um acceptance so to say but uh, because i was uh, such a solitary child it the acceptance part of it was never really 
something that I was conscious of. You know, I I would I would even within a a birding walk, I would tend to drift off, and I would maybe speak with someone. I would or I could not speak with someone. It it didn't really uh, make a difference um, to me. Not that I wasn't I wasn't going to be friendly, um, but there was. It was a first also a sense of community consisting of many varied, uh, such a varied demographic then. Say more about that. It it was a first sense of community um, featuring such a varied demographic. So there were people from, um, you know, who were naturalists, but it wasn't their career path, you know. So you'd have people who um, who were, let's just say uh, uh like um i don't even know what's what's a regular job you know um accountant or doctor sure. <laughs> or or whatever you know um but there'll be varied varied people um that come together to to enjoy birds and for for quite a long time it was it was very um it was like another family you mentioned that by the time you found uh, these bird walks and birding groups, you were already on another career path, uh, an engineering career path, which you subsequently decided to leave to focus on conservation. Can you talk about that decision? Sure. Um, I Well, first of all, I didn't want to do it in the first place. Um, so there was I didn't really start at zero. I already started the career from a, a negative number. Um, <laughs> so for me to become a, a positively great engineer, I had a, I had a, a really long um, way to climb. Um, so I, I knew that I was never going to be a great engineer. First of all, I was at best going to be a mediocre one. Um, and I, I did try to do other things. You know, I tried to get into academia for a little bit, but, uh, I was I was encouraged to to work in the you know, the oil and gas industry that was pretty much booming here in Trinidad, but you know it was already on its way down. You know, um, if you're a person that in, that that likes nature and you follow environmental news and so on, you realize that this the the world is is moving away from fossil fuels, and this is you know more than ten years ago. It's it, but. On Trinidad, it was people very much had their um, their heads in the sand, so um, that industry was still trying to you know expand and hire more people and say it's great. There's a lot of gas in the ground and whatever. Anyway, I digress. What the so one of the the turning points to me was the realization that. The, the industry itself was an extractive one and it was harming the, the thing that I wanted to protect. The one thing that I actually cared for and the one thing that I wanted to protect um, since I was a child was the environment. It was nature. And uh, I had a realization that I am working for the system that is dismantling it and that is you know at opposition to what I felt. So I felt like a hypocrite. Um, 
So that is that was a major motivating factor for me, and also you know finding out things about you working for a company and the the CEO and the 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 top management they they like to go for their holidays in South Africa and do trophy hunting, and I'm thinking I'm waking up at five in the morning and you know scrambling to get ready and have a shower and scarf down breakfast and then jump in the car and spend however long in traffic to suffer at a desk for eight hours to then repeat the same thing going back home to then do the same thing the the very next day so you know such a stage where uh, sunday every sunday by the time it moved from a.m into p.m i would start to feel the dread setting in and i'm thinking I'm going through all of this to help someone to travel, to go to a country, to shoot um, lions that have been bred for this purpose. And this is the industry that, that I'm helping. No way. I, I couldn't do it. So to me, I had no choice. I, I don't think it will be a mystery to anyone hearing you say that to to understand why it is that, that I appreciate the things <laughs> that you say online uh yeah i given that everything you just said except for the particular industry could essentially have been taken from almost any of these episodes coming out of my own mouth i think it's pretty clear <laughs> why uh why we get along online um, absolutely you know i think that um that that ideology that that sense that uh, that kind of anti-corporate and uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but certainly in my case, uh, anti-corporate and kind of anarchist leaning. I feel mm -hmm. like that goes so hand in hand with a desire to fight on behalf of all living things. I, I think it, it's very hard to feel like, um, well, I mean, I don't know if it is hard. It's hard for it's hard for me, at least, to feel like I should be looking out for my fellow humans without also feeling like I should be looking out for everything that exists on this planet. And without those things, it's impossible for us to exist. I, I feel like mm -hmm. once you, you get to a certain place of considering I'm here on behalf of everyone else, you have to also consider I'm here on behalf of everything else. And yes. I, I feel like when I the things that I see you uh, uh, post and the things that I that I read on on your blog and hear in other interviews you've done, I f I feel like that's a very similar way to the way that you're looking at the world that we're here on behalf of everything. Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we we are everything. We are everyone. We are everything. So it is it is all right to to seek the interests of everything else on earth. That's that's what we're all supposed to do. It's that same thing, you know. It's like we don't have a choice. This is what we're supposed to do. Every every single one of us is supposed to be doing that. None of us are here with the purpose of oppressing someone else or exploiting something else. That that's that's none of our purposes. Nor is it a good way to uh, ensure that the people who come after us will have. <laughs> you know and a place to live and not just the people but the beings that you know that come yep. after us it, yeah it's, it feels incredibly short-sighted um, mm -hmm. one thing i wanted to to talk about uh you wrote a book as i mentioned at the beginning called casual birding in trinidad and tobago and uh i was uh, looking it up on 
online and one of the first lines of its description is perfect for anyone who has ever seen a bird before <laughs> and I, I thought that's the essence of of what i like about you and your approach to birding in particular i feel like birding and maybe this is true of all of all pursuits but i feel like birding has a lot of gatekeeping and uh i feel like you are expressly working against that in your writing and your photography and the, in the way you present yourself online. Uh, if, if that resonates with you at all, uh, would you care to say anything about it? Yeah, sure. I mean, they are the people, people try to do anything to, you know, to feel like they're better than something else or someone else. And uh, it's, it's, it's something that unfortunately has formed part of our main mainstream culture. Uh, this kind of competitiveness and, and there's of course there's healthy competition, right? But then you have people, as you say, doing gatekeeping and uh, deliberately blocking someone else from literally enjoying what is free and there for everyone else to enjoy, just because of numbers or or whatever reason that that people you know want to hold on to and um i i i do believe that birding is for birding and by extension the enjoyment of nature and the, the the feeling of of joy that you can get from nature and the wisdom that you can get from nature this is for absolutely everyone and as far as I see it, all the animals know it and all the animals understand it and look at us and be like, oh, look, look at these poor human beings, you know, just <laughs> just doing the human part, not doing the being part. They're just stressed. They're just worried and they're all angry. And, you know, <laughs> I think they have a good laugh when they see us. Yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah, I, we I mean, as far as we know, we're the only planet with life in the universe and we've somehow come up with things like credit scores and rent and jobs yeah and yeah if if i were any other creature on the earth i would definitely look at humans with a <laughs> a real questioning yeah. smile yeah i know it's like it all all you had to do is is walk outside of your cave and pick the orange yes and then exactly. go back inside your cave and sit down <laughs> and shut up <laughs> that's exactly right <laughs> um so one thing about birding is that people tend to want to go to other places besides the place where they live to see birds they can't see in the place where they live. And mm. um, I know you uh, that one of the things that you do is help guide people to do that. And uh, I know it is possible to do that, let's say, skillfully or with the you know the benefit of both the planet and oneself in mind at the same time can you can you talk about navigating that about how to make that kind of uh, i guess ecotourism is maybe the most common phrase how how to make mm -hmm. that sustainable rather than harmful yeah it is it is a double-edged sword you know because it's and i and i feel that conflict very often because on one hand, I'm I'm campaigning for people to come to the country to to do ecotourism, so that money can go towards local communities and a lot of other benefits that I, that I'll talk about in a short while. But the other side of that is the carbon footprint of travel, 
um you know so it's like why am i encouraging people to to get on a plane um you know when we probably should not be doing that but it it's to say like one of the benefits of ecotourism and my my effort here in this country is to is to try to show the government and the the, the authorities the people who make the decisions that there is there is economic value as much as it pains me to say that because you you and I both know that this thing is priceless there is natural capital and economic value in maintaining or preserving nature in its wildest state and because many of many of the people here they think that oh well the forest has no no value you know if there's a phrase we use here when a place is overgrown we say we got to clean up the 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 backyard or whatever sure why do you have to clean up? oh well because weeds are growing in it what are the weeds oh are they the naturally occurring plants and shrubs <laughs> that, are, that feed all of the pollinators and birds and whatever yeah those so we're going to clean up and get rid of that so it's a huge mindset that has to change and um I, I tried initially to just um well I, I would I would talk to people about it, you know, and uh hey, this these these things are, are good for our health. And it's you know, people could just view you as a, a, a hippie or something like that. Um but I realized that a far more powerful tool to to elicit actual change is ecotourism. You know, if you can it's like the government wanted to build a hotel in one of uh, the wetlands on Tobago some years ago, and they, which they continue to to try to do in various other wetlands. And we keep having to shoe them, but that's another story. Um, but if if we came with the argument and said, you know, it's bad for the environment, that's that's an argument, a very valid argument in most circles. But to supplement that with it's good for the environment to keep this place. Plus, you can make money from people coming to view these things, right? Then they suddenly start to say, "Oh yeah, uh, ecotourism." Um, and yes, that's that's you have a good point. Yeah, it's, uh, and I totally understand the your your point about saying it's a it's a double edged sword, um, and it's it's unfortunate that part of the argument has to be here's how to make money by preserving the only literally the only place we can all live in the known yeah. universe so far, <laughs> but yep. at the moment that is the world we live in, and so uh, being able to make that argument and by extension to preserve those places is valuable. I, in fact, I I feel very similarly about. Uh, birding, you know, in one's own backyard, uh, so to speak, mm-hmm. whether, you know, literally your backyard, but your your area uh, is or birding or hiking or paddling or just going out to take photographs or just taking walks in the evening or whatever. I feel like the more people do that, the more they actually begin to appreciate the the literal ground on on yeah. which they're planted and we can, it's so easy to spend time especially you know if for those of us who live in places where most of the, the ground around us is concrete and where we don't spend very much time 
surrounded mm-hmm. by trees or we spend almost no time outside of the sound, you know, away from the sound of cars, that kind of thing. It can be so easy to forget that you are in fact part of all of the natural world around you. You are you are just exactly the same kind of part of it as a tree or a bug or a bird or anything else. And so these hobbies that take people into nature, I just I feel like they're just crucial for our survival as a species because they reconnect us with that key truth about about who and what we are on on this world. We're not we're not at the top of a food chain or at the top of some peak separated from the rest of the world. We're we're just part and parcel of it like everything else. I'm making a speech rather than asking you a question, but but it seems important to me. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it, it got me thinking that, that, as you said that last bit, it's like, yeah, we need to we need to heed the world the the words of of Michael Jackson. We are the world, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> but he made a lot of sense, uh, by the way. But yeah, anyway, um, the, you, you see, like, and for us especially, we have to. We have to make extra effort. That word that we that that you used, reconnect. We do have to reconnect, and we have to expend extra effort to reconnect through birds. I use birds, and that's the 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 essence of the casual birding bit. You know, birds to me are, are very charismatic. They're everywhere, so they can be the gateway to a greater and more profound appreciation of nature, which ultimately should lead everyone to understand that we all are the world, right? Um, but but on this side of on this side of the planet, most of us uh, have been transplanted here, whether you know from the the transatlantic slave trade or just general you know movement of people, colonialism, indentureship um the the various the various ways by which people got here the majority of people living in uh on the, in the western hemisphere are transplanted so we don't necessarily have a generational or ancestral tie with the land and most of us are living these very unnatural lives whereby we are we are not we are not aligned to the rhythm of the of the cosmos basically you know we're not aligned to we're not in tune with the with the seasons and how how the the world shifts on its on its axis you know the only we're attuned to the seasons in the sense of okay well here's an extra hour that you can spend going to work every winter right um but it's we need to be in tune with with the natural rhythms and and observing observing birds is one of the the best ways to instead of thinking about first and second quarter uh, and, and and financial year and whatever, think in terms of fall migration and the blooming of this particular tree or something like that. You know, and these are the things that help to cultivate. Uh, a greater connection with with nature, which is what we have to do, given our history. My guest is writer, photographer, birding guide, author of Casual Birding in Trinidad and Tobago, Faraz Abdul. Faraz, I've been really looking forward to this, and it did not disappoint. Thanks so much for being on A Brief Chat. 
You're welcome, and thank you for having me. I'm Jason Crane. You've been listening to A Brief Chat. If you want to hear past episodes, you can find them at abriefchat.com. And if you want to support what I do, you can become a member for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash abriefchat. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next month. Thank <laughs> you.